Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. In 2018, Alex Halderman ran an experiment. He knew how it would go, and that's exactly how it went, which was the terrifying part of the whole exercise. I've been studying the security of election technology for more than 15 years now, ever since I was a a PhD student. And if there's one thing that is a constant in election technology, it's that the voting machines and other technology that we rely on just cannot be completely and blindly trusted to work correctly. Halderman is a professor of computer science and engineering at the University of Michigan, and he's the director of the Center for Computer Security and Society. And in 2018, he asked students at the University of Michigan what seemed like an easy question. What's the greatest university? And the uh, candidates were Michigan versus Ohio State. Now, of course, everyone at the University of Michigan is going to vote for Michigan as the greatest university. 100% Michigan. 100% Michigan. Obviously Michigan. 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 But what we found when we totaled up the votes at the end of the election was that apparently hundreds of Michigan students had voted for Ohio State. Shocking, right? But, of course, this was the experiment going in the exact direction that Halderman thought it would go in. The Michigan students had not voted for their rival. Instead, Halderman, who used real live voting machines that have been used by real live American voters, he just hacked the vote. I had created malicious software that infiltrated the machines and just changed each vote as it was being cast to steal votes from the University of Michigan and give them to Ohio State. Now, this is unfortunately somewhat easier than it sounds. Not real confidence-inspiring. And that was the point. If an attacker can find a way to get their software onto voting machines, they can subvert the digital results of the election. Now, fortunately, there's something we can do about it. And that's just like we did in the demonstration election. We can have a paper trail. That's one aspect of the 2020 election that should give you confidence, Halderman says. A lot of us now have our votes backed up on paper, about 85 percent of us. It can be a little weird to have a computer scientist tell you that paper is the solution to your problems. Kind of like having the CEO of a major car company tell you that horses and buggies, they're just the ticket. But think of it this way. When you record your choice for president this November by putting an X on a piece of paper, how easy is it for hackers from Russia to fiddle with that piece of paper? That question is something to take seriously, given that in early August, officials from the National Counterintelligence and Security Center warned Russia is already deep into meddling with the 2020 election. Now the question may simply be, How far do the Russians want to take this? In 2016, Halderman says they likely stopped short of some of the most major interference, perhaps for no other reason than President Vladimir Putin's self-restraint. We know now from the special counsel's investigation and other intelligence reports that Russia probed likely all 50 states. They were able to compromise the voter registration systems in multiple states. They were able to compromise one company that produced election equipment, and they tried to hack their way in to many different local and and county governments. 
Now, all of that could have put Russia in a position to do immense damage had they, for instance, altered or destroyed voter registration records across a large uh, part of the country. That would have been chaos on the ground during Election Day as people showed up to vote only to be turned away. But we know it didn't happen, and we, we know that because there wasn't massive chaos on the ground. And we have reason to believe that votes were not changed, at least not on a wide scale. And a lot of that comes from the fact that three states conducted partial recounts in the aftermath of 2016, where they went back to their paper records and verified that they were approximately the same as the digital results. But what 2016 was, was really a wake-up call for everyone in American election administration from the federal government down that the technology alone wasn't going to be enough to protect us. So in the time since, over the last four years, we've had uh, around a billion dollars in new funding for elections from Congress. We've had vastly improved awareness of cybersecurity issues at the state and local levels of the election administration, and much better cooperation between states and locals, and uh, federal and law enforcement entities. We've also had improvements to technology, especially the centralized state technology that's used for voter registration and functions like that. We've had a decrease, fortunately, in the use of the most insecure kind of electronic voting, that is, machines that are completely paperless. And we've also had most recently, with COVID-19, the rapid expansion of mail-in voting, which uh, raises its own new set of challenges. Okay. So there's a lot of work left to do, unfortunately, or elections are, are not where they ultimately need to be. But it's a big and complicated country with something like 8,000 different jurisdictions across the 50 states are involved in election administration processes. So securing that immense patchwork of jurisdictions is really the main challenge. We're not talking about a place where we need major technical breakthroughs. But we need more cooperation, more resources to locals, and more of a focus on providing evidence of the result of the election that can convince anyone that the results are right. So let's let me just dive into some of that. Um, So in 2019, uh, the Senate, which had been looking at Russian interference in the election, said, "Okay, they didn't just do some of the more flashy things like steal John Podesta's emails or, or create a lot of bots in social media. But actually, as you said, they got into the election infrastructure of probably every single state. And maybe what they were doing, hard to say, was sort of canvassing those states for future elections. Um, does that worry you, that that maybe they know, they understand sort of the back end better than we think because they've been there? Well, yes, it worries me quite a lot. Uh, minor correction, they didn't get into every state, but they tried to get into every state is what we okay. think. And um, that pattern of activity strongly suggests that what what Russia was doing was behaving opportunistically. They were looking for the weakest links and figuring out how far they could get into the system by just casting a a very wide net 
Now, one of the really interesting things, though, is even in the registration systems that Russia got into, they don't appear to have changed any of the registration records. The officials went back and checked. But there, there wasn't anything technological that was stopping them. They didn't change them, not because the technology put up a barrier, but because Vladimir Putin decided not to pull the trigger. And that's what really worries me, is they could have done a lot more damage in 2016. And um, in many parts of the country, the technology still isn't there to guarantee that they won't be able to do damage in 2020. Yeah, so that's my so if things have gotten a lot of a lot better or somewhat better technologically, do you think the Russians are in a position still where Putin could say, "Okay, I do want to pull the trigger this time," you know, and could they get into uh, the back end of state systems and instead of just looking, do things? That's that's my worry, and that's what. Um Really, everyone in election administration has as their doomsday scenario. So let, let me give you one example of that. So we don't have any evidence that Russia got into actual voting machines in 2016. But that would kind of be the maybe the big target if they wanted to actually undermine the, um, the outcome of the election. And you might say the, the average voter looks at voting machines thinks, well, these are a bunch of disconnected systems. They're not connected to the internet. How how would it be possible for attackers to um, hack these things on a wide scale? Well, it turns out that behind the scenes, voting machines are much more connected than they look. Before every election, every voting machine has to be programmed with the races, the candidates, the rules for counting. And that programming is made either by the state or local government or by an outside vendor on a a centralized system called an election management system. Now, if Russia or other attackers can break into a state's election management system, they can spread malicious software to voting machines throughout that jurisdiction and potentially change all of the digital records. That's the threat that really keeps me up at night. Okay. Well, I'm going to read you a quote, actually, from the Senate Intelligence Committee's report put out last year, but really looking at the 2016 election. Um, And they reported that uh, the Russians had hacked three companies, quote, that provide states with the back-end systems that have increasingly replaced the thick binders of paper used to verify voters' identities and registration status, unquote. That sounds to you like that's scary stuff. That's really scary stuff, too. So there we're talking about the computers that are used to check in voters on Election Day. They're called electronic poll books. And yet another layer of technical vulnerability within the, the polling place. If attackers can subvert those systems, they can potentially create really long lines at polling places, delay the entire process, even cause people to give up and go home. At the same time, though, one of the problems that we're really facing in 2020 is that so much is new and so much is changing, especially due to COVID, that there will almost inevitably be places across the country that experience delays, experience breakdowns, experience long lines or delayed mail-in ballots. And it won't necessarily be due to hacking. In 2020, because of that, Even if Russia does nothing at all, 
they'll still be able to point to instances where there were breakdowns and uh, make it appear that they were due to hacking. Right. So right, if right. your goal is to just undermine confidence in the election, in 2020, you probably don't need to do anything at all. And that's because the, the election system is just not engineered well enough to create evidence for people that it functioned correctly. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking to Alex Halderman. He's the director of the Center for Computer Security and Society at the University of Michigan. We're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to be back in just a minute to talk more about our very fast approaching election, how secure it's going to be, how to make sure your vote is counted. If you want to hear or you want to share this whole conversation, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, among other places. You can also head to our website, innovationhub.org. From PRX and WGBH Radio, this is Innovation Hub. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Last summer, which feels like about 20 years ago, Robert Mueller sat down to testify before Congress. As you know, in May 2017, the acting attorney general asked me to serve as special counsel. Mueller was famously reticent. He used a lot of legalese, and he didn't want to say much beyond what had appeared in his written report. But at the very end of his testimony, in a postscript that felt sincere, that felt urgent, he spoke directly. Let me say one more thing. Over the course of my career, I have seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's effort to interfere in our election is among the most serious. And as I said on May 29th, this deserves the attention of every American. We're not talking about a bunch of kids. We're talking about some of the most sophisticated attackers in the world. Alex Holderman is a professor of computer science at the University of Michigan. He's an expert on voting machines and someone who has hacked elections, just for demonstration purposes. And it's largely a question of whether they choose to aggressively attack us rather than whether we're fully prepared. Holderman says... This November, every state sorely needs the most up-to-date, fail-safe way of securing elections. It's a crucial technology, comes originally from China. It's called paper. Paper ballots are absolutely the gold standard. And that might seem counterintuitive that uh, computer scientists and security experts prefer (laughs) paper. But really, in... um, Almost any critical system where life or safety or something as as high stakes as an election outcome is um, on the line, we want there to be some kind of physical failsafe if we can get it. Like um, if you're on a commercial jet, it has a very sophisticated satellite-guided navigation system, but also by law, it's got to have a magnetic compass in the cockpit just in case the Mm. computers fail. Or if you're riding in your car, you want your brake pedal to be physically connected to the brake in case the car's computers have an error or are hacked. In voting, that physical failsafe is the paper trail. So good news and bad news about that paper trail. More Americans have been getting one. About six in seven of us now have our votes recorded on paper. That's really good. 
But here's the wrinkle. Not everyone is able to fill out a piece of paper unassisted. Voters who are are blind or have a, a motor impairment, for instance, might not be able to do that. So we provide assistive technology for voters with disabilities in in every polling place, which is a machine called a ballot marking device that you interact with electronically that prints a ballot on a piece of paper that's supposed to uh, include your votes. Now, the problem is that an increasing number of states, states like Georgia and South Carolina and large jurisdictions like Philadelphia and L.A., are starting to use ballot marking devices not only for voters who need them for accessibility, but for everyone. So you mark your selection, the computer puts it down on a piece of paper, you get that piece of paper to look at. Halderman says jurisdictions are doing this because it's easier for vote counters to look at pieces of paper filled out by computers than by people. People make errors, they don't make dark enough markings, they vote for multiple candidates, they do all sorts of weird stuff. So computers are enlisted to mark the ballots in a more uniform way. And how bad could that be? The problem is, what if these ballot marking devices are hacked? And the simplest way to hack them would be to cause them to just print a ballot that is marked in a different place than the voter selected on screen. So it shows a different candidate. And the question is, will voters notice this? Now, we did a study at Michigan last summer where we set up a mock polling place and brought in almost 250 people uh, to vote using ballot marking devices that we had rigged so that on every ballot, they'd move one of the marks to be for a different candidate than the voter intended. Okay. What we found was that only about 6% of voters noticed that there was a problem with their ballot. Most of the voters didn't even look at the printed ballot. They just uh, deposited it into the ballot box without checking at all. And even those who checked often missed the fact that a mark had been moved. So in a close election, this could be a real problem. An election that comes down to um, a fraction of a percent, you might only get one report or less of any problem with the printed ballots in each polling place across a whole state if there was enough fraud to change who won. So we need to get voters who are using ballot marking devices to pay much closer attention to what's on their printouts and to very, very carefully check that they're right. The voter now has a responsibility to the security of the whole election, and it's something that everyone can do by carefully checking their ballots to help make sure that the result is accurate. When you mix all these factors together, all the potential problems, are there states that jump out to you as the most concerning, Um, both maybe because... uh, they have some some issue with unreliability, but also potentially because of where they sit politically. I mean, it would be shocking, for example, if California voted for Donald Trump, that, that would just floor everybody and it might indicate something went wrong. And I think it would probably floor everybody if Mississippi went for Joe Biden and that might indicate something went wrong. But are, there are places where who knows who they will vote for? And in some ways, those are the most important places. Well, that's that's right. The likely swing states are also going to be the places most likely to um, experience attacks because uh, attackers know that those are the places where they can 
so the most problems. So some states that worry me, one is Georgia, uh, which for many, many years, up until January of 2020, used paperless voting machines statewide that are actually the same model of machine that I demonstrated the attack on and had Ohio State beat Michigan at At Best University at the University of Michigan. Okay. So Georgia used those machines statewide until January of this year and hadn't even patched the software since 2005. That is, they they hadn't applied the software updates that were available. So there were known vulnerabilities that could be exploited. Now, Georgia updated their system this year, but what did they do? They went and bought ballot marking devices for all voters and then had to implement them on a very short time scale. I'm also concerned about Texas, which is one of the states that still has in many counties paperless voting machines. In fact, um, within the last two years, some counties bought new paperless voting machines in Texas. And that patchwork of different technology, especially in states like Texas that might well be close this year in the election cycle, it could lead to a potential for technological failure and hacking. There are also states that are doing quite well, that are really leading the way in election security. One of those is Colorado, which was the first state to introduce what's known as risk-limiting audits statewide. And risk-limiting audits are a way of going back and checking the paper trail to make sure that um, the the outcome is absolutely right. And Colorado was the state that pioneered this technique, and now many other states across the country are are piloting risk-limiting audits or hoping to introduce them as soon as this November. That would be a major step forward. So... Do you feel like if you, given the given the technology that we have now, if you were trying to hack this election, do you think you could? So, um, uh, 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 <laughs> look, I, 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 um, there are places in the country where there are vulnerabilities that are that are still open that need to be okay. corrected. But for the most part, we're, we're not talking about vulnerabilities that just anyone would be able to exploit. You would need to be a well-resourced attacker and you would need to be willing to, of course, break the law. But that's what we're facing with foreign governments. I was going to say, I think that's what we're talking about, right? Okay. That's, that's unfortunately what we're talking about. But I worry almost more this year, going into the November cycle, that even if there are no attacks, we're still going to see problems just occurring naturally because of the size and complexity of election administration and all of the changes due to COVID that are going to look like something bad happened, like there was fraud. And most of those problems are almost certainly not going to be due to hacking or fraud. They're going to be due to an administrative mistake. They're going to be due to delays with the Postal Service. They're going to be due to the need to wait for more mail-in ballots to arrive before announcing a final count in a close election. But the legitimacy of our government depends on convincing the, the losing candidates and their supporters that they lost fair and square. And that's much harder to do 
when there there is visible chaos in um, even some jurisdictions in a close election. So even though Congress has given states about $1.2 billion for election administration purposes over the last um, three years, that money doesn't come with any new standards or any specific security requirements, which means that uh, election officials, by and large, are having to figure it out for themselves. You talked a little bit about COVID um, potentially slowing the election process down, right, because people are waiting for ballots to come in the mail and maybe they haven't come in by Election Day and so on. Is there... I wonder if there's any other COVID-related things, and I wonder if there's any potential upside to that, because a ballot that is mailed in is, I think, by definition, a paper ballot. So doesn't that mean we have a lot more just paper floating around? Well, yes. So there there are some advantages of vote by mail, um, especially when it comes to ensuring that you have physical evidence of every vote. So the fact is that there is a history of fraud involving vote by mail. In fact, most Um, cases of prosecution involving voter fraud involve absentee ballots. But what we're talking about is not millions of cases, it's hundreds of cases where such fraud has been prosecuted. And at the same time, even though you do have some greater potential for malfeasance when ballots are handled outside the safety of a polling place, you force those attacks if people want to try to commit fraud to be what are called retail attacks. That is, people on the ground manipulating or stealing ballots one by one. That means you have a big conspiracy if you're doing enough fraud to affect election results. And it means you're leaving physical evidence because every vote is recorded on a physical piece of paper. So all of that makes fraud likely to be small scale and more likely to be caught and prosecuted. What I worry more about with vote by mail is just because it's been expanded so rapidly due to COVID-19, many states are going to be dealing with very large volumes of vote by mail ballots for the first time, and many voters are going to be voting by mail for the first time. All of this increases the chances that um, you'll have confusion or mix-ups of some kind or another. And because the rules and the processes vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, there really isn't good uniform advice you can give people other than check with your local election officials to see what you have to do when in order to participate by mail this year. Do you ever worry uh, like that there's a possibility that we really won't know or understand or have any way of getting to the bottom of who wins the election, or there are many elections really this November? Well, the closer the election result is, the greater the chance that we might not know for sure the outcome. Like, it's pretty easy to assure the public about the outcome of a landslide election. And indeed, it's much harder to commit sufficient fraud to change the outcome of a landslide. But an election that's really close, yes, there is a possibility that it will be just... uh, too close to know for sure, at least not without very thorough subsequent investigation of a kind that we have little precedent for. The best thing that you as an individual can do to make sure that the election this year is going to turn out well is to vote. 
Um, Even with all of these risks, um, the more people we have participating, the more likely it is that this election is going to be a legitimate one and is going to be something everyone can trust. The only way to guarantee that your vote won't count is to not participate. Alex Halderman is professor of computer science and engineering at the University of Michigan. He's the director of the Center for Computer Security and Society. Alex, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. We've got more on voting security on our website, including the video of hacking the University of Michigan, Ohio State vote that we talked about at the beginning. You remember that resulted in Michigan students very suspiciously voting for Ohio State as the best university. That's at innovationhub.org. From PRX and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub.